Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So, when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the Dew. At Mountain Dew, we'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it, as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. It's zero sugar, all Dew. Welcome back to another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Lifshitz. As always, I went to a doubleheader this weekend. Lance, Lance is doing his digging. He's doing swing comparisons for MLB guys, MILB guys. When aren't you on Twitter dropping some sort of <laughs> jewel of knowledge? Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Lance Brozdowski, my co-host. Oh, how's it going, Ralph? Co-pilot. Oh, pretty good, man. Do I can't it, complain, well. you know. I'm, I get a new job, so I'm getting a lot more time in the car where uh, I could take a podcast and all types of information about baseball and prospects. And uh, yeah, I got a good setup right now. So I'm constantly uh, got baseball information coming in while I'm doing my job. So podcasts are a really good way to like consume music almost through like, I mean, excuse me, consume information almost through Ooh. like osmosis, you know, you just have it on. Like I just put on random ones, even if I don't like them and I want to know what happened like the major leagues the day before. And I, I didn't get a chance to kind of dig in. And you just kind of pick things up, and it's really nice. Podcast is one of probably one of my favorite mediums, honestly. So, uh, and I, I feel like I have to update people whenever I have good food. So uh, I had a really, really good burrito tonight. Um, it had really fries in it with some avocado guacamole, kind of blended. Um, it was amazing. And I think the last <laughs> time I talked about food, I had something that was also really good. So 
Um, Angela's Burritos out in, out in Chicago. If you're in Lincoln Park area, you know, hit it up. Um, they're open till 3 a.m. every night too, Ralph. So can we, can we get amazing. him as a sponsor? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can. <laughs> That'd be amazing. But no, I'm ready to go. I get energized after food, man. Whew. Oh, really? Yeah. I usually, I usually want to take a nap, but I, <laughs> I like your style, man. Yeah, I, don't know, I guess I get energized. Maybe halfway through I'll have to take a nap, but eh, we gotta wait. That'll wait. Ralph, we got promos to talk about. Promotions. We do. A lot of them, or maybe not a lot. I think there were a lot last time we talked. We did a little Saturday morning podcast yeah. on the last one. And now we're just looking at some other ones. Mainly a couple guys who actually recently got drafted that I called up. Nolan Gorman up to Peoria. I am very, very tempted to get a look. I, I definitely will. I'm hoping within the next probably couple weeks. Um, possibly this weekend, but I don't want to kind of preempt that. Michelle Baez up to San Antonio AA for the Padres. Ian Anderson up to AA Mississippi for the Brave system, obviously. And Nate Lowe up to AAA. That is the five players that we have off the top of our head. I'm sure we're missing someone, Ralph. Which one of these are you most excited for? I think it's got to be Nolan Gorman. I mean, just to see him at a a full season level, Nate Lowe is a close second. Um, And then Ian Anderson's probably number three for Mm me. You know, Baez, I think Baez is going to handle it. I had a conversation tonight with somebody on Twitter um, where they were kind of, you know, dogging Baez a little bit, just looking at the, the total season numbers. And I'm like, well, remember, he was coming off an injury, came back late, late April, he won start in April. And then you kind of had like a real if he may. And then if you look at the numbers from like his first start in June on, he's been tremendous. And if you go to baseball reference, you can actually see the game log with the number of swinging strikes. And I don't know if I shot this to you or not, but in his last 10 games, Mm -hmm. he has 141 swinging strikes. That's an average of 14 swinging strikes per game. And when you think about the fact that these guys at most are going seven innings, that's really remarkable because most of these starts are, you know, five, six, sure. sometimes seven innings. He had one start. I think he had 25 swinging strikes. I mean, <laughs> so obviously there's something that his stuff has ticked up from that point in June on, um, because I think through the first seven starts this is another stat. He had two um, games of double digit swinging starts in the next 10, that 10 stretch that I just mentioned. Um, he had nine of those 10 games are double digit swinging strike game. So I think Baez is going to handle double A. I'm not worried about that. I'm interested to see if some of the things that I know Jason Woodell had mentioned to us when we chat about prospects and he's seen some of Nolan Gorman is if guys with more advanced breaking stuff and better control Mm -hmm. of, you know, of, of their, you know, sliders and, 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 and uh, curve balls, if they're going to be maybe even a good cutter, um, if they're going to be able to work him away off the plate and potentially get him to bite at some stuff in the dirt. I know Jason thought that was something that was exploitable in his swing. So I'm, I'm interested to see that. I don't know if he'll necessarily get a ton of that in the Midwest league, but he should get, mm. but I think he should get, you know, maybe, maybe the, the step up, it should at least say something yep. um, more about this guy. Now at this point, you're playing with house money with Nolan Gorman. He destroyed rookie ball to the point that nothing that's going to happen over this next month really is going to scare me off of him unless Unless he had like an 80% strikeout rate. Yeah, I agree with you. And I mean, we've gone back and forth on this too. I think everyone is, I I, I love Golden Nolan Gorman as much as the next. I'm a Cardinals fan too. So there's some hair bias and the love for him. And it it has been for a while. I was very excited when he got drafted by them. But putting that aside and actually looking at him as a player, the thing that stands out to me the most is 
right-handed pitchers, he's seen 85% of the time. 85% of his plate appearances are mm-hmm. against right-handed pitchers. And the hole in his swing, as Jason mentioned very astutely, is the breaking ball away. And that is even more elevated when you think about it from the left side. If he has lefties throwing against him, that's he's not going to get an 85-15 split at the major level or even at double A. He's going to get more like a 60-40. If, if he gets in the higher levels, he's going to have the guys starting to match up against him that are left-handed pitchers, maybe up in triple A and even the major leagues. And again, we're, we're, we're zooming forward two or three years right now. But I've seen some people toss him a top first-year player draft rankings, and I, I do not endorse that. I do not think that he should go ahead of guys like Jonathan India, of guys like Nick Madrigal, of guys like Casey Mize even. I'll even go pitcher over, or, over Nolan Gorman right now just because I think Mize has such a high floor and that he'll move so quick. And the, the inherent floor in those top four guys for me, and I'm probably missing someone, even Boehm I think is probably right on par with Gorman uh, right now, I would say. But sure. I just I, I think that we're getting a little too excited over a, a bit of amazing, amazing feats in, in rookie ball at Jackson City, which is – I love it. I love the guy. He's got amazing hands. His hands are stupid quick. He has some of the best raw power in this draft, I think, personally. I think it's right up there. Maybe it doesn't end up being the most game power. Maybe India ends up with that. Maybe maybe a guy like Boehm ends up with that if he gets over the schneid he's been on. But I just – I want a deep breath with Nolan Gorman just because the stock is – pretty pretty high right now and it's going to come back down and i always have that general philosophy and you know this ralph where if i'm ranking a guy really aggressively i have to be willing to take all the slumps he goes through and that's the biggest mm. thing with me it's like if i'm gonna rank this guy top 40 50 on a top 100 list right now like I, i'm not gonna drop him down when he starts struggling because i have the confidence that he goes through that so i'm really interested to see everyone else's fortitude when he starts to struggle a little bit, which is inevitable when he sees breaking balls away as jason's saying when he sees more left-handed pitching because those are the cruxes in his swing that's what he's gonna have to polish and that's gonna take a year or two this guy isn't gonna be a triple a bat by the end of next year he's gonna he's gonna sit no. in springfield and peoria you know he's gonna sit around and i'm really excited to see his development but Let's take it. Let's take a deep, deep breath with him. Um, personally, on Nolan Gorman, and then yeah, Ian Anderson again is another one I've liked a lot. I know I don't think you've been too, too high on him, but but you know, Double A. Let's see. I think that this is another huge jump for guys going up from from high to to Double A. And, and Groshans no, another like, one too. I like I like Ian Anderson. Ian Anderson's my boy. Oh, okay, good. I thought he was a little yeah, low yeah. on your list, but maybe I'm thinking no, no, of someone no. else. Might be hey, thinking well, of one of the other all, ones. All, all pitchers are kind of low on true. my list. Very true. Like, very true. It's for, it's for fantasy. If I'm doing like a real like real life value list for like an MLB team, it would obviously be different. But that's kind of how I approach it. I want to mention one thing before we move on about the Gorman stuff, though. I, I see. I think that there's not there's no there's there's a lot of good arguments for and against like six guys at the top of the draft right now for first year player drafts. You know, um, like. To me, I, I I think you can you could take Nolan Gorman and I wouldn't be like oh my god that's an awful pick you know um, you could take Casey Mize I wouldn't think it was an awful pick I wouldn't necessarily make it myself I probably would go India but it's why I think I've been preaching that like in my first year player drafts this year I want to be like three or four or five I agree with I you want, yeah I kind of want someone to drop to me and then like you know somebody else takes Madrigal and like you know Bohm drops I feel like right now you're going to get better value on Alec Bohm because of just a bumpy start to, you know, his professional. I think you're going to get a really nice value. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and Gorman, Gorman's going to come at, you know, a a price, but I I do think that there's maybe the element of ceiling and being able to dream on a guy a little bit because of the, the age number, Um, whether that's reality or not, there's still the age number there. And they're still like, Hey, he's hitting this well against competition that is significantly older than he is. And he still has all these flaws and things he has to sort of work out. So 
Um, I think you could sort of look at it as a, a glass has full, half full, glass, glass half empty. Wow, I really stumbled through that <laughs> expression right there. But, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's like, you know, if you want to be optimistic about it, um, I think you could sort of take the optimistic approach that he's this good and still has some kinks that he has to work out. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think I mentioned in my article today that I think he's probably the consensus number one right now. In most first-year player draft rankings, Gorman, really? Yeah, I'm, I would imagine. I'm shocked. I would imagine most people shocked. are going heavy Gorman. But you know, the numbers, the age, the age, and the numbers, all that stuff adds up, man. And I think the thing is, he's got more upside than like Nick Madrigal does. He's not a pitcher, so if you if you're pitcher adverse with Casey Mize, you like Gorman. Bohm okay. hasn't performed all that well. Joey Bart's a catcher, right? Mm-hmm. And then it leaves him in India. And I'm sure if you read the right reports, you could come away thinking that Jonathan India was going to be like, you know, at best Alex Bregman, you know, like mm-hmm. kind of not that that's a bad thing. No, but, that's really good. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I feel like, well, I guess that's even a, like, I, I feel like there's some scouting reports out there that like dull down everybody, even if they're sure. really good. You know, there's only like three guys that are high on yep. um, that I could sway it that way. And I think once again, you could come down to once you eliminate the two guys, I think it's logical to go with any of those guys. If it sure. fits it, your team construct. I mean, I'd be a little hard pressed to be talking to Joey Bart. Number one, to be I, quite I honest. would not, I'd be hard pressed to talking to Gorman. Number one, honestly, I'm, just, I'm coming just back to that. Bart, just, just cause Bart's a catcher. I mean, like, yes, yes. that's a, that's a, that's a fool's errand, regardless of how good he is, even if he's Buster Posey, like that's, that's like one in a thousand chance that you're going to get that guy. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very true. So far fetched is a better, a better chance that, you know, Gorman could hit. I mean, I would probably take Trevor Larnock before I'll take Joey Bart, but that's just, you know, my personal preference. Um, Larnock, I, I know you just mentioned this one. He's also been promoted to, uh, to Cedar Rapids, right? Correct. So, yeah, That's, yeah. Actually, I think I might have said Jordan Groshans. I did not and mean that to say true. that was yeah. not true because he's a Blue Jay player, and I, I just it's yeah. late and I got mixed up. I'm probably gonna edit that out so you don't even know. But uh, yes, Trevor Larnock is the, another individual heading up to the Midwest League. It's nice because this is the first time I've been here where we're getting promotions to the Midwest League, and I know that the the Yo, team camps made some moves. Owen and Miller is a guy who did a couple home runs. A bunch of other random guys kind of just floating around. So it's gonna be fun to kind of get a different turnover of players very quickly here where i think i think, feel like in the eastern league we had more guys who uh who hung around for a while you know just because the yeah. turnover there isn't as quick but well we also had certain types of like high level yeah, high you get end a, prospects. a much more a yeah. nice dose of the high end guys for sure for sure yeah and i think you, you sort of get that too but what you get that's unique is you get a lot of uh first experiences in professional baseball you yep. know if you look at a guy season, like yep. Yeah, you look at, you know, a guy like, what is it, Cody Clemens? Is that the right Clemens? Yep, I always that is the right Clemens, yep. So, you know, Cody Clemens, who's with West Michigan, you know, the, the Tigers affiliate, yep. he was assigned there right out of Texas. So you get you get guys like that, first taste of pro ball, you get guys first taste of full season ball, you get a lot of, like, you know, first taste of real starts from pitchers because there's a lot of these guys that were doing two, three inning stints in like the AZL or, you know, the GCL in their respective leagues and guys that might've been held back in like extended spring training and just sort of at facilities. Cause they're, you know, um, uh, international J two arms. And those guys just, you know, they have, usually have like two years before they sort of unleash them on everybody. You get a lot of those guys once they're sort of at that point, and they're the special guys like, you know, Michelle Baez last year, obviously Patino is a little bit earlier, but there's so many of those talented guys that you get to see in their first taste. Now, I know you say the level of, of, of play and just sort of 
ba- I guess baseball IQ in the games isn't necessarily as yeah. high. And I think you see that when I would go and watch a short season game versus a triple A game, double A and triple A are pretty close. I, you know, I don't yes. think there's a huge difference there other than you have like 30 year old dudes who are like major leaguers though. Josh toll was on the, uh, I think it's toll T O H L E was on yep, the, uh, told. was on the Erie team. So he's a, oh, he's wow. a, yeah, his kids are running him. around. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I love seeing that. But no, I mean, at the same time, though, at least you're, if you're in those levels, too, like you look at guys like Michael Kopech and Eli Jimenez, where they're facing major league talent. You know, it, it is subpar quad A major league talent, but it's major league talent nonetheless. And I think that that helps to some extent in terms of projection. You know, so it does. Um, that's our quick promo talk. We had a couple other segments here. We're going to run through Ralph's looks at Alex Fadio and a couple of other people. Do a little quick note section, and then we're going to do a little bit of player dive on Matt Manning, and then we'll jump into the 5x5. Five five. So let's get going on the Ralph looks. I like calling it that. Ralph, you got a look at the Erie Seawolves, I believe, against the New Hampshire Fisher Cats over the weekend. A little bit of a double header because there is some terrible weather going on in the Northeast. Yes. And this included looks at Alex Fadio, Isaac Paredes, Daz Cameron, and I believe Hector Perez. So I didn't know too much about Hector Perez, the other trio of guys I did know from the from the Tiger system. I know that we both follow Emily Walden very closely. So uh, give us the general looks here. I'll probably jump in and ask some questions, but I know we, you were texting me pretty extensively about Fayedo. And uh, the first thing we did notice right off the bat from his mechanics is that it does not extend well at all. Um, very no. short in front in terms of that front leg, very, very upper body heavy. Um, I, it poses some arm injury risk for me, obviously, and I think for you as well and for anyone watching him. Um, and also kind of gives you kind of a better understanding of why exactly maybe there's some relief first with him because you seem to say that he really good fastball run inside to righties, really nice slider as well, but everything else was kind of like eh, including the mechanics. So give us the rundown on Fayetto and then feel free to jump into Paredes and Daz. Well, number one, he's not – I don't think he's 6'5". I think he's like 6'3". Okay, uh, interesting. Like, yeah, to be quite honest with you, I'm standing right there. You know in the, the visitor's bullpen, you've sat there many times, yep, walked over there. We're sitting right there. It's me and Eric Cross from Fantrax. We both nice. took in the game. Gotten tickets to the Friday night game, and then, of course, it got rained out. The storm you heard about that whole uh, you know scenario last week on the podcast. Well, this is the follow-up. This is what happened hours later where I went to a doubleheader and took in two games. The first game was uh, Alex Fado, and I forget who the starter was for uh, – uh, nobody of note for, for New Hampshire, mm-hmm. just, you know, uh, a, a system depth sort of arm. And so we're, I'm there super early because it got rain delayed once again. So <laughs> I'm there like an hour and 10 minutes before the game. So Fado finally comes out. We get to see the bullpen. And yeah, I think the first, so he's a long toss guy, did his little long toss thing. Um, I think that was with uh, Jake Rogers is the catcher on that team too, who actually has caught fire since I saw him. He had a homer that night. And I think he's got three homers. I really since like that. Rogers since that game. Yeah. And he's excellent behind the plate. He really is a, a, a pretty good, uh, you know, a, a defensive catcher. But the thing with him, like you said, is it's like, I can kind of see how he's had two knee injuries in both of his knees from pitching because he's so upright in terms of his mechanics. I feel like when he plants, he puts a, a lot of like, a lot of stress on like the front of his legs, you know, cause he, he lands so upright. He doesn't extend very well. Um, it's, it's sort of like an abrupt stop. And from there, he sort of has a kink in his arm action where it's almost like a hitch in a, in like a swing for like a, a hitter where, you know, they think pitchers can pick up the timing and sort of easily exploit that. I think it's the same thing with him. He's got sort of this hitch. Now, fast forward to the actual game. First inning, he looked pretty good. He got some weak contact. Um, you know, the, was locating the fastball well. Buried a couple of sliders. 
threw one change up to, to Kevin Biggio that was uh, fouled off, but it looked like a decent pitch that he actually had to go out and reach for it. It was a little bit of action on that one. That was the best change up he threw all night. Everything else really wasn't that good. So he, he strikes out uh, Kevin Biggio, which isn't, which isn't easy to do, um, especially when you're behind in the count. Um, you know, full count, strikes him out in a slider away. Gets him swing, a swinging strike, too. I'm, I'm thinking, all right, here we go. Fado's going to be ready to roll. Maybe I'm wrong. Funky mechanics and off. It works. It works. And got that in my head. Next inning happens. Come out. Um, oh, there's a bad error to third base. A guy, Josh Lester, is their third baseman. It was rainy that day, so I don't know if the the clay was was hard, you know, in the, the infield and was bouncing balls or something. But he booted two balls at third base. So he boots a ball at third base. Guy gets on. Um, retires the next two via strikeout. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, gives up a tater to Harold Ramirez, right? No, no, I'm wrong. Who, it wasn't Harold Ramirez. It was the other guy with the, the silly name, another system depth guy in New Hampshire right now. It will come to me in a minute. I gotta, okay. I gotta look at who it was. It was in my notes the other day. I'll pull it up, but, uh, hits a homer that gives up a bomb, hangs a slider high at that point. I'm thinking, all right, he had one mistake in era. He's pitching well through two innings. It was just, you know, whatever, fine. He hangs a slider. Guy makes him makes him pay. That's going to happen to the best of them. I don't have an issue with that. Comes out comes out for the third inning, okay? And uh, in the third inning, this is where things really, really became unglued, man. And it was bad. So the first the first one was a was a pass ball, but it was almost a near wild pitch. I think they scored a wild pitch and then corrected it to a pass ball later. That I wouldn't put it on on Rodgers because the ball just. It got a swing and strike from Max, Max Pentecost. I think it, it might have been, but I mean, we we know what that's like, so that's not exactly. <laughs> it was <swing> Pentecost. <laughs> yeah, he'll swing just about any breaking ball. So um, that yeah, not a big feat, but anyway. So pass ball, he gets on first. Um, next guy that steps up is Bobichet. He gets down 0-2, and we know about Bobichet. We've talked about it since the beginning of the season. We were watching games in Long John's in Hartford about his, <laughs> oh, about God, his, yeah. two, his, his two-strike approach and his adjustments. So he gets mm-hmm. down 2, and, dude, he, he shortens up the swing, and then he, like, goes out and he gets a slider off the plate and just places it between, you know, opposite field because he's a righty, between the first baseman and the second baseman for a base hit. And then next batter comes up, um, uh, hit, 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 hit batsman. I think that was, I forget who was hitting third or second that day, but anyway, hit batsman. All right. Next comes up. Kevin Biggio walks in a run, uh, and then, uh, a hard hit single up the middle to, uh, Harold Ramirez and just another, another ball that he just left right over the middle of the plate. So at this point, you know, he settles down, he gets a couple of outs. They pull him from the game. So he went two and two thirds, um, 59 pitches, 39 strikes. It wasn't like he was, you know, all over the place, but some of the strikes that he threw, I mean, it would have been better if he buried some of these pitches in the dirt. And I, I felt like guys were able to sort of time him up. He didn't seem like he fooled too many guys. Other than, I mean, he had four or five strikeouts in that game, but a lot of it was just, you know, a couple of bad swings by guys lower in the order in New Hampshire. And we've seen that New Hampshire team enough to know the bottom of that order is not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, the best pitch of the day was that slider off the plate in the first to, uh, to, to Biggio. Now I don't want to take too much away from the kid. Like I thought, like I said, I think he, he located the fastball really, really well. Um, there are elements that I could definitely appreciate for me. He looks like a two pitch guy. The changeup doesn't look to be very much, at least in the day that I saw it. Now I've seen encouraging reports from other people who maybe saw him on better starts, but at this point in double A against good hitting and a good lineup on the road, it did not look good. 
I think he's a two pitch guy that could potentially be a, a, a solid back end of the um, bullpen sort of reliever, you know, whether he's a setup guy or, or a closer or like a multi-inning guy, he's got the stuff to do it. Um, but I don't know if he has a ton of deception for a guy that has mechanics as funky as he does. And that's usually something that goes hand in hand with sort of those funky mechanics. You think Joey Lucchese, one of those guys that has this sort of funky hitch, but it, it adds some deception um, you know, to his delivery and, and, and release point. And I, I don't think there's much of that with what I saw that day. Um, so there, that's my, that's my Fado rundown or Fiedo rundown. So where would you have him in terms of like, where do you have him on your list right now? Do you know off the top of your head and, and would you adjust him substantially in either direction up or down? Uh, man, I'm going to have to pull up my list in and take a look. I want to say that he was probably in like the mid to late two hundreds. I'd have to, oh man, I, I have to, I can pull it up for you. Yeah, and so just, just what do you think? Would you would you move him up or down just in general? Like, yeah, he's same neutral he's, stock, and then you see him. What what's he, your reaction? He definitely moved down because I feel like there's a lot of guys that I've seen recently that were probably ranked behind him that were better. So you have one forty two. Sean Reed, yeah, he's definitely moving way down. Then Sean, maybe like to uh, see. I, so you it's have, one of those things where like the numbers were, were relatively good there. And right. I was like, all right, you know, when he was in lower, low, you know, high a and ugh, yeah, 142. I don't like that ranking at all anymore. Yeah. So you have <laughs> Nate, Nate Pearson right behind him, Jorge Guzman right behind him, Alec Hansen, Cal Quantrill, Enio De Los Santos, Franklin Perez, Matt Libertor, Shane McClanahan. So he's kind of right in that Corbin Burnsy. So I feel like Justin Dunn is definitely better than him. I think he's r- ranked higher than him. Um, Sean Reed Foley is better than he is. Uh, you have Justin Dunn 139, so you do have him above Fido right now. Reed Foley, you have 208, so you'd have to kind of get him. You'd have to either move Foley up into like the 150 range or flip Fido down into like the 175. I think, I think it's one of those things where like I've seen Fido now, so like I'm gonna yeah. move him down because I have better perspective. I mean, sure, because when you're ranking this many players, you just try to go off of what you're hearing from other people, and it's also what level they're at, and then a guy meets a challenge like this and you just see him live and you're like, wow, I'm really just not impressed that, you know, maybe he had a couple of bad innings, but one of them, I mean, just, he just got totally unglued and it just seemed like they just opened up on him. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it was bad luck. I don't want to totally write him off, but I don't, I don't see him being this overpowering dominant top of the rotation guy. I think best case scenario, he's like an okay. Number three. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's, he's total like mid rotation. Like that's his ceiling to me. I can't imagine him being a top of the rotation guy. Mm-hmm. Just, just doesn't have the stuff for it. You know, what do you think about the two hitters here quickly? Isaac Paredes and Das Cameron. I, I've always been a pretty big fan of Das Cameron. I know that maybe some people don't see the projection of the power. Did you see specifically with him anything that would encourage you? Yeah, I think Cameron was one of the most polished hitters that I watched that day nice. on the Erie team. I felt like he took really good at bats. I don't know if he did much that day. Actually, he might have had a double, and I just missed it. Uh, or in in a hard hit single, he played in both games. Didn't I? Didn't get to see him make any plays in center field. Maybe one where it seemed like it was a hard hit ball, and he just sort of effortlessly got to the gap. He's going to be a Gold Glove center field type of guy. Nice. Um, the bat was quick. Uh, he was able to, you know, um, battle in a couple of at bats where, you know, he got down two strikes, um, took, took a couple of balls, you know, evened up the count, battled off a couple of pitches that, you know, he, he didn't feel he could hit. And that's when he ended up roping that double. So, I mean, he's a guy that I felt that day I came away thinking, all right, this is like, maybe not a superstar, 
offensively, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some things he could do. A, sup- a supremely talented athlete. Just even seeing him in warmups and workouts when we were over there down by the, by the bullpen, um, you know, his athleticism just sort of sticks out and how quick he is and how easily he moves. It's, it's, it's graceful, you know, and everything he does, I would describe as sort of being somewhat graceful. Um, but he has power, quick hands, you know, really strong forearms is what I noticed too, which his dad had. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he's becoming more and more the sort of player that his father was. And one of the reasons that, you know, the Astros paid as much money as they did for him um, when he dropped. And a lot of it was because, you know, he was a prep kid that was looking for a big signing bonus and they were able to pull that off that year. But, you know, I think, I think Cameron, um, while not a future all-star will probably be somewhat like for fantasy 12 team relevant, I think in his peak years, because he's going to have enough speed. He's going to have enough hit and he's going to be in the lineup every single day. And that's very important. I think that's one of the more overlooked things is does this guy have the hitting ability, you know, against each, you know, each handedness of pitchers, he doesn't have any split issues. And does he have any defensive issues? Cause we've seen with guys like Willie Calhoun, a year mm-hmm. ago, if Willie Calhoun was an average or above average um, outfielder or second baseman, he would have been starting. They probably would have traded like <laughs> he would have been starting for the Dodgers. Right. I mean, you know, he would have been on that run. Like, I think that's that, that's something that gets overlooked. And sometimes it's, it's fun to get caught up in the bat. It's fun to get caught up in the numbers, especially for fantasy. But we shouldn't overlook the fact that, you know, what is this guy's future? And that boosts the profile sometimes, too, if the numbers maybe aren't as good as some guys that maybe have some more question marks around him in some ways or another. But I really do like Daz Cameron. I thought he was really talented. Got some good looks on him on Paredes. Uh, Paredes had only played in the first game. Didn't play in the second game. Um, I think he had an infield single. He got under a couple of balls. Nothing, nothing uh, fabulous. Bat speed is really, really quick. Body isn't great. Mm -hmm. Um, but he's got a little bit more athleticism left in him at this point. But if that body gets worse, he could definitely slow down quite a bit. He was a DH that day. Um, they have Willie Castro on that team that they acquired um, uh, from uh, uh, Cleveland for Leonis Martin. And uh, he's pretty good defensively. So he was at second base that day, not Paredes. Um, and I forget who they had playing shorts. It was Willie Castro the shortstop thing. They had somebody else second. I think that's what it was, but either way, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, <laughs> he wasn't in the, uh, he wasn't in the infield at all that day and he didn't do a whole lot, but the bat was quick. You could see he had, you know, definitely, um, short compact swing, not a lot of stuff fooled him, made contact with everything. I don't think he had any strikeouts that day. Like I said, I think he had a walk. Um, but he did, you know, make contact with, at least one ball and, you know, I think he had two fly outs and maybe a ground out mm-hmm. was, it was either an infield singer or a walk when he got on, but he, he hit one to third base. But yeah, I mean, he was, uh, he was okay. I wish I had gotten a second look at him in the second game. You know, sure. um, the new Hampshire guys went bonkers that day. Uh, Boba had, had a double, um, and a single, um, Kevin Biggio had a big night. He walked a couple of times. He might've had a home or two that I missed, but, uh, yeah, I mean that, that, that whole team just mashed and just mashed away. Um, so he was kind of interesting. And the most interesting guy that I saw was in the second game starter for New Hampshire. And that was, uh, Hector Perez, who was mm-hmm. acquired from the Astros, um, in the Roberto Osuna trade. So 
Perez is a guy that's always had big stuff and some command issues. And I was interested to sort of see once I saw that he was on the docket, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see like what the command issues are from. And, and honestly, I, I don't think it's anything mechanically. He's, he's actually smooth and he repeats pretty well. Um, he's pretty athletic on the mound. I, I feel like it's just his stuff like is just nasty. I mean, the bite on his, mm. on his breaking ball. Uh, and he's got a splitter. That's like a split changeup, I think. Um, that thing was nasty. Fastball was sitting um, off the top of my head. I want to say, say 93 to 95. Pop 96 is where he topped out. Um, had a curveball and a slider. The, sw- the, the swing and miss pitch was definitely the slider. That thing was nasty. That was like mid-80s, like 84 to 86. Curveball was, uh, you know, a big hammer curve. He only threw it a couple of times, but I really liked that pitch. That was a, that was, uh, uh, about, you know, 80, 79, 80. Um, but I thought that was a pitch they could bury under lefty's hands. So that was, that, that he was an interesting guy. I, I don't know if it was a splitter or a two seamer or a changeup. Cause it was kind of one of those like high eighties pitches for a guy that throws that hard. And it had some, some arm, you know, some arm, arm side run and some dive as well. Um, and he works pretty low in the zone, okay. um, but it'll, but it'll challenge guys up with the, uh, with, with the, uh, the two seamer or the splitter or the change up, whatever the hell it is. He'll, he'll drop that in on guys like righty's hands. So it's, he's a, he's an interesting pitcher that if he, he's got enough pitches and enough of an arsenal that if he somehow reined it in just a little bit, he had like seven walks in his start on Wednesday or Thursday night. So it's bad timing. He might've had four walks that night too. Um, he's unhittable though, that he could be a nasty, nasty reliever, like a two inning guy, um, or another guy that could be like a back end of the bullpen arm. And I actually think he's better than Alex. Fado. His stuff is better than Alex Fado's stuff. Wow. Definitely better than Alex Fado's stuff. I like it. Um, but it's like one of those guys, like I said, his stuff is so nasty. There's so much bite on it that he's got trouble landing all of it in the strike zone all the time that I wonder if he got to a higher level and was with a better defensive, you know, like a, like a, a better pitch framer, if he might have a guy that can steal on some strikes and it might make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but his stuff is major league stuff. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah I got, got him. Video. It seems like he does have some bit, a bit of control concerns here. His walk rate has been consistently above 10% for an extended period of time. Almost every level he's been oh, at, yeah. but, but watching some video, I mean, he's got a really, really nice front leg in terms of how he brings his body and weight right? forward. The delivery is a little funky. He like kind of coils up, but then extends out a ton and has a really high back leg follow through. Um, but he looks pretty interesting. Kind of interesting arm slot too. So I can see why maybe that splitter is really effective and kind of like an over the toppy curve too. He, he looks pretty interesting. I can't say too much about him, but obviously the Blue Jays did their scouting down in uh, down in the South when they saw this guy probably sitting in the Astros Astros Double A. He pitched 16, 16 innings yeah. there this year. Um, K's look really, really good, have been consistently good. So this is definitely a name to keep an eye on. Six three one nine. They have him in the fan graphs at, at 22 years old only. So, excuse me. Um, yeah, interesting, Ralph. Interesting, interesting stuff. Um, Here at Mountain Dew, we'd like to remind you, you got to know what's important and what's not important. Knowing how to tie a tie, not important. Keeping a diary, not important. Trying all the different bold flavors of Mountain Dew, important. Experience the boldest flavors on earth. Do the do. At Mountain Dew, we'd like to recognize the number zero for making Mountain Dew Zero Sugar possible. You have no reason not to try it, as in zero. Get it? Crack open an ice-cold Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. It's zero sugar, all do. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. 
This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. I'm not sure what I'm going to see this weekend, but I, I hope to have some Groshans. Or just keep calling them Groshans. What is this? Trevor Larnock. Jesus Christ. Larnock and, and Gorman. Um, or, or hopefully two looks I'll get eventually soon. Hopefully, maybe have those for the next podcast. But some quick notes here I know we want to dig into, Ralph. Um, five things I'm going to rattle off quickly, and then we can kind of pick apart and maybe dig in a little more before we do a quick player dive on Matt, Matt Manning. Um, first thing, Mitch Keller has his best start at AAA. I do not have that stat specifically on me, but I'm sure you can tell me in a second if I delay long enough. Vlad has also homered in consecutive nights. He is back. He is ready. Obviously, um, I saw some funny tweets going around. You shot a tweet out that got a ton of traction. Everybody loves Vlad is one thing that I think we've confirmed over and over, regardless of what level yes. he is at. Everyone loves Vladito, and I'm very excited to see him. Hopefully, it's a little September call up when the rosters expand. Yeah, screw service time. I think that everyone's starting to kind of adopt that philosophy, especially with guys like Eloy Jimenez. J.B. Bukowskis on Thursday night here is spinning a really good game. Michael Chavis and Bobby Dahlbeck, I believe, headlined an MLB, MILB.com article, but you also have them written down. I think they might have had a couple homers today or something. We could go into that. And then Josiah yeah, they Gray. Each, they each homered. They each homered. And let me just throw out there yeah, that sure. uh, Mitch Keller went six strong, allowed uh, four hits, one walk, one earned run, six strikeouts. That was a 69-game score. Hey. No. <laughs> nice good job <laughs> and then last note here we have is josiah gray courtesy of a, of a good friend from twitter and elsewhere john eshelman he's getting looks at him tonight fastball says it's really good sitting 94 and 96 so five things right there a little bit more of a uh, less specific than than some, maybe some other things we mentioned in terms of the promotions but uh i love that mitch keller stat right there that's fantastic i've always been a big mitch keller guy. i was really interested to see how he did with the jump from altoona to indianapolis it looks like he's settling in relatively well i can't say i know too much about how the other starts have gone but um, I could take a look and tell you how they've gone. Ralph, which of these kind of five notes you had down stands out to you? Well, I think, I think the most encouraging probably has to be Mitch Keller's best start at AAA. He's mm-hmm. really struggled tremendously so far at that level. I think yeah. this might be his second quality start or maybe yeah, the first so quality start. Five starts. His first two were a combined 13 earned runs. And then he went two earned runs over four innings, two earned runs over five innings, and now four earned runs, or excuse me, four earned runs over six innings. And then now it looks like he's finally sinking it all back up together. But the strikeouts have kind of always been there. The walks have been four, one, four, one, three. So this does seem like a bit of a roller coaster right here. It looks like he got sent back down on the 10th of July and made a high A start as well. I don't think I remember that. And then got a mm. nice 12-day break. That probably was an all-star break. But maybe uh, taxing on the arm here. I'm not sure if they were trying to just maybe ease some of the uh, the workload for him. I know he only threw about 111-ish innings last year. So it looks like he's already over that threshold right now. It looks like he's at about 129. Or no, excuse me, right, almost right at that. Just at 110. So uh, he's definitely going to get more innings in terms of workload it goes. But uh, always been a big Mitch Keller. The velo on him is just unbelievably easy. I know Jason Panini is a good friend of ours. Um was doing a lot of looks at him prior to, I believe, picking up a job scouting. And uh, um, he liked him a lot. And I know that he was contemplating whether Keller was working on kind of like a cutter pitch and some other things. So I like that at Stafford Keller as well on that outing. Um, what else did you have on here, Ralph? You also had Chavis. So Chavis is back from the suspension. Um, no, we're going to talk about apparently. Chavis. Let's save Chavis for the Let's five. Let's save Chavis. Okay, we can do that. We can yeah, do that. We'll, we'll do a little Chavis Bobby Dahlback because Got what's happened is Chavis is now hitting – uh, the numbers have been pretty good over, you know, a, a, a 
decent stretch now for I think maybe the first seven or eight games that he played, he kind of struggled and he's sort of gotten back into the groove now at double A. Since Dahlbeck got called up last week and Dahlbeck now has three homers, I believe, maybe four homers at double A in a week. He's getting on base. Numbers haven't been bad. He still strikes out quite a bit, but I don't think it's has been uh, it obviously hasn't stopped him from, from hitting pretty well. He's a pretty good, he's an underrated defensive third baseman. Dahlbeck has a gun for an arm. This is a guy that was a closer uh, and a relief arm when he, I think he started some games too, when he was at university of Arizona, when they won that run and lost to coastal Carolina back in, uh, who's that 2016, I believe in the college world series, but um, yeah. So he's got the arm. Um, he moves pretty well. He's much more athletic than I think he's been billed. Um, especially when you look at him, everyone sort of thinks he's going to be this chubby, bad body guy. And he's not uh, that at all. Very strong, huge raw power. I think he has more raw, more raw power than Michael Chavis does. Michael Chavis's hit tool is better. He's still a 60 raw power. I think Dahlbeck is a 70 raw power guy. This guy has massive raw power. I mean, just puts Mm -hmm. on shows and batting practice when he gets a hold of them, you know, he slams, um, setting records when he was in Salem, but I know he's a little old for the level. Now it's age appropriate. He seems to be really hitting. He's playing third. They've moved Chavez over to first base. This is an interesting combination that they have going here. These guys stock in the last three weeks has jumped up a tremendous amount. There's some helium here. I think they're both pushing their way toward the top 100 in a lot of lists, because when you factor in Dahlbeck's defense, regardless of the bad batting average with the, the focus on sort of the three true outcome type of guys, and there's a pathway for those guys. He's very similar. I think I said this last week to Matt Chapman. And I think that there's no Matt Chapman was a, a back end of the top 100 guy the year or two that before he got called up. I think it's going to be a similar situation here with Dahlbeck. And I think Chavez is going to hit his way back in and people are going to remember what they liked about him that, you know, maybe they overreacted a little bit as people tend to do regarding results from PEDs sure. or whatever they got popped for. You don't know, you know what it was or, you know, how much it even aided him. I don't want to get into that discussion now, but either way, I think Chavez is back on the way up especially with the move to first base. This is a nice little one-two combination for a system that really needed some guys to break out. And they got some guys they draft this year in the lower minors that have been uh, pretty impressive as well. So I think things are ticking up for the Red Sox system. They added a couple of pieces and didn't have to deal a whole lot uh, other than Ty Butry, which I, I think is eventually going to be a closer for the Angels. But that's another story for another day. Um, and Vlad Guerrero keeps on hitting homers. What He's else is gonna, <laughs> I, I almost, here's my selfish, my selfish thing. Lance, All right. Okay? Let me hear it. All right. I want him to stay down now. So he qualifies for enough at bats for his numbers to count. And he can be considered a guy who hit 400 over a season in the minor leagues as a 19 year old minors, totally in the upper minors. I think that would be a tremendous feat and we would be a small, small part of it, but just to be a small, like small that. part of it. You know, a fraction, a little speck in the puzzle. I, I kind of <laughs> like that. So uh, that's what my selfish thing is. And then maybe Vlad gets a couple of games, a couple of weeks at the end of the season after the International League ends. Mm-hmm. So he's pushing his way there now. I mean, his numbers have been Just even better bonkers. in the International League. It is, it is, in, he's one of these guys that every level he just gets better and better. It, I said this to the guys at, at my work today, and I said, you know, it's funny that the best hitter on Toronto is in the International, isn't yeah, right now, is in 
That's not even a joke. It's you know? not at all. I agree even with you. Even if Josh Donaldson's in the lineup, I'm taking Vlad. Oh, I'll take Vlad over current Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson is a shell of himself, honestly. Unfortunately, I loved watching Josh Donaldson when he was a very good player and his bat speed was working because he had one of the funnest swings in baseball. But now yeah. Vladdy, when he gets up, will have one of the funnest swings in baseball. And I'm I'm really secretly interested to see his barrel rates on balls. I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, exit velo, this and that. But like one of the other – the things that is just yeah, that's the a stat. better predictor of, of – success is barreling baseballs honestly like that's that's beautiful that's a that's the correlation of of launch angle between like that 25 to 28 degree window and and above average hard hit exit velocity in that window and he's gonna barrel everything and i'm i'm really interested to see where he lands right off the bat because i bet he's gonna be up in that 85th percentile 80th percentile to start and i don't think it'll go down much from there so Vladdy Jr. as always is is our Vladdy watch. I don't think we have a Brandon McKay update. We might have to sli- slip that in. I can gonna... I could slip it yeah. in right now if you'd like. Oh, let's, so, let's do it. Uh, Brandon McKay now is hitting. Uh, I didn't check tonight's numbers. I don't know if he was in the lineup or not. Was hitting two eighty seven or excuse me two eighty nine with three homers over his last ten offensive uh, appearances. Which is pretty good. I mean, I think you got to look at that. Walks a ton. Doesn't strike out a ton. Um, eh, she does strike out quite a bit, but he walks a ton. He's an OB, an OPS sort of hitter with some power. So there's something there. <coughs> He's been really, really good. Once again, on the mound, he had his yep. longest start of the season on Tuesday night. He went five scoreless through 70 pitches, 70 pitches through five innings. Pretty impressive, by the way, yep. 49 of those for strikes, three hits, no runs. Once again, only one walk. I think he's had like three walks in the last like five starts. It's, it's, it's nuts. The amount of control that this guy has and he's getting swings and misses. And he's talked about that in an interview that I, I had read the other day, uh, following the start. And he was just sort of talking about how with certain guys, there's the game plan that depending upon the count, you know, he'll pitch to contact and trust the guys behind him to get it out. And, you know, he feels as though he can, he could throw, you know, um, certain pitches and certain counts to certain hitters. Cause he has, you know, done the work, done the work and knows the book and the guy that'll be able to get a ground ball, or like a weekly hit fly ball, or he knows there's certain guys that, you know, he doesn't want this guy to put the ball in play. So he'll go for the strikeout. And, mm-hmm. you know, maybe those are like canned answers a little bit, but I think it's just interesting that, you know, he's, you know, sort of vocalizing this mentality that he has in the mound. Um, and the fact that, you know, he knows baseball so well, and he has this ability still at the plate. He's not a joke hitter. I mean, he's a legitimate hitter. If he was a full-time hitter, I'm sure he would have double digit homers, 15 homers or something like mm-hmm. that. By this point, probably hitting about 265, 270. I don't think the batting average is ever going to be high, but he can get by sort of being that type of hitter and sort of being a toned down Shohei Otani. Obviously he's a left-handed thrower, but a toned down Shohei Otani on both sides. And if there's any organization that's going to figure out the formula to make this work as they've accumulated this just insane amount of talent over the last few years. It seems like so, and they've developed really well. So many of their players, I heard about a guy, Vidal Brujan, who's just struggled a little bit in April. And since then he made some adjustments to his swing and they've been able to unlock a whole nother level. He was one of the best players I saw in Lowell last year uh, when he was with the, the Tampa Bay affiliate in uh, the New York Penn league. So yeah, I'm, I got to say, Brandon McKay, man, I love this guy. I'm going to cover him Big every fan. Thursday, and I'm going to cover him every week here. Um, he's just a lot of fun. He's just a really, really interesting player. Absolutely. Um, I love guys like this. Yeah, there's just so much about him that's so unique, and it's a, a good story, I think, just to follow along. And, and as we do this podcast, 
month after month, hopefully year after year, Lance. Yes, of course. And, and we can get to the day where it all culminates in <laughs> a conversation about Brendan McKay's major league debut yep. and how the race is playing player. Yeah. yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely, 100% agree with you. Do you want to do a little dive on Matt Manning now? I know we're, we're running a little bit late, but I think that we can speed through the 5x5 five five when we get to we it. Do, so, uh, we can do the Matt Manning thing kind of quick, too. Yeah. I think it's... Yeah, so, so I, I want to know your thoughts because yeah. I wrote some of my thoughts down a little bit. Um, I've always been a Manning fan. I, I, I like the profile. I've gotten caught up in guys like this before, and I think you'll allude to this, so I'll uh, I'll tease it a little bit. But the guys like Lucas Giolito, the guys ah, like yes. Tyler Glass now, I get caught up in these big, nasty guys with a nasty breaking pitch and a high-velocity fastball. So yep. talk, talk me off the... I guess talk me onto the ledge, I guess, with Matt Manning. Um, but no, tell me what you like, what you don't like. What do you sure. see with Matt Manning? You know, give me, give us your, yeah. uh, your perspective. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I'm not gonna be able to talk you off the ledge cause I'm, I'm generally on the ledge with a lot of these taller likey guys. I have an affinity for them. I love guys like Alex Meyer, Tyler DeGlass, and I always have. And I just feel like these guys, this goes back to the days of like Randy Johnson. I know it's kind of a weird comp, but like Randy Johnson was terrible in those first couple of years of the major leagues. He was a tall, really long, lanky guy. You watch any, any interview with him. It, he literally says that it just took him a while to figure out his mechanics. Cause when you're this tall, when you're apparently 6'6", 190, I think he's bigger than 190 seeing his frame. I think this kid's like 220, 210 easily in my opinion, based on his size from that height. And I just, he's too big of a guy at the moment to tell me that he's 190. I'm 184. He's I'm got 6'4". The s- There's no way that he's no he's got way more he's got way more beef yeah his shoulders are way broader and like he's 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 a little thicker down low he's got trunk he's got trunk he's got he's got a bigger body than far far as whitley I, it, it's, it's crazy to think that, but I do agree with you. Yeah. And I, I, Matt Manning's really interesting. We saw him a little bit in the future game. I was trying to go back and find some video, but I've realized that that someone should have recorded that game or something. Cause I, I can't find much video on it, honestly, which is unfortunate. But, um, but with Matt Manning, I mean, you're looking at a, and I know that Jason Waddell put up, um, some awesome gifs of him, but fastball curveball is basically what he's working with. He's yeah. got, I think there's 60 on both. I think you could squint and see 70 on the curveball because of how much a hammer it looks like. A lot of people harp it back to Barry Zito and how much of a of kind of overhand break that it possesses in the spike in the pitch, how much drop it has basically 12 to six as opposed to more like a, like a Barrios loopy's 11 to seven, but it's a devastating pitch. But the thing that I noticed, and this is probably what I'm most interested in is that I, I know people kind of define tipping pitches in different ways. I don't think Matt Manning tips his pitches, but he has a very distinct follow-through. That's almost like an exaggerated follow-through on the pitch where you can see him pulling. And, you know, when, you, when you're a pitcher, they say you fall through and you come back basically to your hip. You, you pick your back pocket with your hand, which is like an old-school term. I don't know if they're still teaching that. I have no idea. But it was what I was told when I was little. And you see it very emphatically with him where he throws the pitch, he throws the curveball over, and you see the ball break. It spins really hard. And it's a really effective pitch. And then his hand comes really far down, and his whole – like body because he's a really really active front leg and trunk shoots forward and pulls down and almost like his Max Scherzer style gets his back flat if you're looking at him from the home plate looking out to the pitcher it's very flat back and I I'm interested in this because when you then look at his fastball there isn't that as and that much of an eccentric pull down on his trunk so my thinking is that if I'm a hitter I don't know if I'd be able to recognize it right away I might be too late in the delivery of him to notice a follow-through difference but 
it does seem like there is some difference between these pitches. Like if you, if you just don't look at the pitch itself, but look at the body motion, it seems like with maybe 75% his accuracy, you could tell what pitch he's throwing. And maybe this is true for a lot of other pitchers at this age and at this level. But with Matt Manning in particular, I just found it interesting, especially because he's a bigger body. It's, and, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, I totally agree. It's the follow yeah, through. It, it's, it's weird. It's way more aggressive on the fastball once he gets up in, you know, his, once his leg is lifted up to his torso mm-hmm. at that point on the fastball, he extends a lot more with his front foot and he sort of explodes where with, with the, the curveball he sort of drops his show, his, his front shoulder a little bit and sort of comes a little bit more over the top, maybe on mm-hmm. that, on that curveball. And that's how he that generates movement. that spin. Like if you, I'm sure if you look at his spin uh, data, it's unbelievable. I bet he's top 25% in baseball yeah. among major league pitchers. I'm saying, I think this pitch, the spin on this pitch is insane. That's why it's grading out this high. I don't think it's like a Lucas Giolito style curve where it just kind of disappears, which is honestly something I've always been really interested in asking Giolito about just one-on-one with him. If I could ever get a white Sox credential, but uh side note there, but I mean, you group him into this category of guys where, you know, Giolito glass, now and even Alex Meyer have really really big control problems and I think that's where you have the difference with Matt Manning that gives me a little bit of encouragement is the fact that right now he's only posting about an 8% walk rate I think he's 8% walk rate right around a 30% strike rate and his FIPS I think really nice 2.97 which is really really encouraging for a kid this age but I just am a little bit worried for one reason that he does have a little bit heavier of a back leg. And I know this is very, very yeah. noticeable, very noticeable in his younger days. I think he has smoothed it up a little bit, but, I, but it's I'm still noticeable. Wor- yeah. And I'm worried that that kind of limits where the control ceiling is with him. He's not getting into being like a, a really, really good control pitcher. It's really hard for any guy this big to be a, a really good control pitcher, which is why it's always really impressive to see guys over six, five, six, six who have very good control, you know, like Randy Johnson. I mean, glass, that was not there. Like Gilly, is not there. Alex Mild probably will never be there in that respect. But that's kind of my spiel on Matt Manning. I'd say I'm I like him. I think I like him a lot, but I think there's again a lot of risk mm. in a couple things that I really th- think he needs to clean up. But I'm really encouraged by the command. I think that that's the biggest thing is the fact that he's holding an eight percent walk rate in high well, is huge. And one thing I wanted to mention too, watching some of the tape that Jason put out, he put out a ton of tape, so I think yeah. I saw pretty much every at bat. He really works well off the plate against uh, lefties and he got a lot of swing and strikes on the fastball and the curveball and got a, a few called strikes on both of those pitches off the plate. And then he buried it under the hands against a couple of these guys in the second at bat, you know, with, with the curveball coming in and the lefty. So I like the fact that, you know, he's looking to, you know, sequence his pitches a little bit. He knows what the guys got the last time he's changing up where it is, but I'm, I'm really impressed considering all the stuff we just went over some of the knocks and the mechanics how well he locates his pitches to the outside part of the plate mm-hmm. and inside, of course, to, to right-handers, which I think is going to be really effective. And I think that's one of the things that he has going for him that he has maybe a little bit more feel than uh, he's given credit for. You know, he's not completely raw. There is there, you know, with the spin rate, some of the other stuff, the, the control here, there's more of a pitcher than we recognize. And the fact that he has all that with a somewhat limited amateur baseball background he was a big basketball player. We know about his background with his father being Ricky Manning. Blah, 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 blah. We mm-hmm. have to say that every time. I, I think now that he's been so focused, he's made tremendous strides as a pitcher over the last couple of years. And I would imagine that he may take another step forward. It may take a little bit. You know, he may stall out a little bit. But I do think this is a guy that can get it all together mm-hmm. um, and could be a pretty nasty pitcher. If he develops a changeup, and you can get a little bit of fade on it, and it looks similar <laughs> to that fastball. 
with just to trick Game guys, and then, and then he drops the curve hand. Doesn't matter what his arm action's like in the curveball because yep. they're not going to be able to hit it. You know, when they're when they're looking at ninety two to ninety four now, touching ninety five. I'm sure. He can get that up 94, 96, touching 97, 98. The thing with Manning, too, on the fastball, too, is the perceived velocity of this. I know this is a topic brought up a lot on Baseball Savant if you search some data on that. But guys like Tyler Glasser and Alex Meyer have their, – their 94, 95 looks like 95, 96 because of how much they extend. Another guy that does this, too, that isn't as tall is Jacob DeGrom. It's a really, really good extension that allows that fastball to kick oh, up. Oh, man. So I don't even care I watched him sitting, yesterday. Yeah. It, it's, it, his delivery, his mechanics man. are beautiful. He's oh, one of my favorite him. pitchers. I agree with yeah. you, yeah. And I think that's the thing with Manning is you look at him and you go, he's sitting 92, 94. That doesn't matter to me. That pitcher's going to look 95, 96 if he's sitting 94. That's a big thing, I think, with a lot of these guys is like – it's always really impressive when you see a guy like Forrest Whitley throwing 97, 98, whatever. But it's almost, honestly more impressive when you see a guy like Matt Manning with a, an amazing breaking ball like this and then the ability to shoot and get the pitch up and make it look like 95, 96, even though he's only 92, 94 with it. So that's just a little tipping on Manning. But I think we both like him. I think that I'm – he's going to be a development project. As you mentioned, that changeup is going to be a big thing. If he gets up to Erie at any point, that's going to be a – that's literally the reason why he's going to be there is to develop that pitch because he's not going to be able to survive with just fastball curveball, I think. Even as good as those pitches are at higher, lev- higher levels, especially against left-handed hitters, he's going to have to bring in a changeup. And at the moment, it doesn't seem like he's throwing that much at all, which is completely fine because he's in the high A. He's going to be able to blow by everyone with the two pitches he has. But it's going to be a project. It's going to, he's probably three-ish kind of years around, but, uh, but we'll see. You know what's not three years off, Ralph? Rotoware is not three years off because they're right here right now. In the moment, if you look at the Rotoware classic stuff, it seems like every single minute of the day something cool happens. They got a T-shirt for it. They dropped one the other night. I think they had some hard knocks references yeah, for all the yeah. Browns fans out there. Bless them. So check that one out. Unfortunately, you can't use our promo code in those shirts just yet. But you can go over. You can check out my favorite shirts, which is like the original, the OG rotoware stuff mm-hmm. that's the highest quality material these shirts are super breathable they wick sweat at the gym if you're looking for a good t-shirt to run in or something like that a workout lift in these are great shirts to get after it in and they have cool expressions baseball related stuff prospect related stuff uh sabermetrics related stuff but it's all delivered and sort of it's going to sound lame because i'm an old guy saying this but it's sort of like a hit package like it's not <laughs> it's not like matthew berry's lame shirts you know what i mean like it's good stuff so <laughs> use our promo code to get these shirts. they're even cut in for like you know you're, you're in shape you want to show off the waist the oh guns. yeah I'm, I'm a fan yeah. of that. You know it. <laughs> yeah, yeah we like that we like that um you know lance maybe a little bit more than me now that i'm 36 <laughs> years old but uh i'm trying to stay up donuts and stay trim but we don't need to know about that you want to know what the promo code is that's sagnoff s-a-g-n-o-f you get 20% off all your Rotoware shiz. Lance, let's jump into the 5 by 5 We need music for <laughs> I that. need music, yeah, I know. First one from me, Francisco Mejia. I, I tried to go a little bit off the radar with my other four. Um, so with me, I, I just wanted to go with kind of an oldie but goodie here. Um, 12 games with El Paso, obviously now with the Padres organization. He is slashing 341, 417, 463. This is the contact bat that I, I think we all – understood was still in Mejia. It was the reason why a lot of people were giving him 60, 70 hit tools at times. It's still there. Maybe the power develops. Maybe the power takes longer to develop. But he's a legit top-of-the-order guy with the OBP. I think he could be like a 380, 390 OBP guy at the major league level. The contact is fantastic. You know what I was thinking about too, Ralph, is the fact that you combo him up with a guy like Urias, and oh my God, the top of that Padres lineup could be an on-base machine. I don't want to call oh, yeah. Ake into like the, the Indians where you're going, you know, Lindor and Jose 
Ramirez because I think that's extremely, extremely insane expectations to live up to. But the fact that this they could have two guys legitimately who are fantastic contact bats who could post OBPs well above average in that kind of top quartile of Major League Baseball in terms of OBP, I really, really am excited to see Francisco Mejia at the next level with the Padres. Get him up there eventually. See what Preller is willing to do in terms of some of the development of these other guys. You get Tatis there. He's going to probably end up being the three or four hitter. And then you have a lot, a lot, a lot of other depth talent in the system that I know that they want to take some time to develop. But the structure of the future Padres are there, and I believe Francisco Mejia is a big part of that. Really, really rhythmic swing. I always like looking at it. Um, Starts his hands pretty high, coils up. Really, really good engagement in the lower half, I think. Um, amazing barrel control to all fields. I love Francisco Mejia. I think we both do. You, you, when yeah, you have a guy, fan. when you rank a guy consistently in the top 20, 25, year in and year out like Mejia, you can't fade him when he starts off slow, which he did I this didn't, year. I didn't. And I you didn't. Did I didn't. But I know some people did, and I'm always bummed about that because of how good this kid is and how much talent he possesses. There are always, people that always on the Francisco of- Mejia bandwagon. There are people that drop them out of their top 100. That's just absurd. I don't even understand that. Even like maybe I can see the argument outside of like the top 40 if you're really, really pessimistic. Yeah, but again, even like, top 50, fine. Yeah, but like you can't I'm, – I'm sticking with him. Like you got to stick with him inside that top 25 window. He's, he is hey. who he still is, and there's no difference in the Francisco Mejia of old and the Francisco Mejia of now. Ralph, who's your number one? So my number one is Cleveland Indians. I'm on a Cleveland Indians prospect kick. I think I wrote about – four of them today. Ooh. And of course, Francisco Mejia came up in the Indians, uh, uh, hood. So, yeah. you know, he's, uh, he's straight Indians. OG prospect. Anyway, I got the OG thing in my head for some <laughs> reason today, Tyler Freeman. He's a middle infielder was a second round supplemental pick 71st overall in the 2017 draft. He's a 19 year old right-handed hitter. Uh, interesting swing. I know we had a little bit of debate about Good it, whether it was whether it was long or not. And you sort of said he just in love with his lower half. And I totally agree. And I'm going to steal it from you. I mentioned it in my article today that, you know, he has great balance is able to sort of balance himself and coil on his back foot and then just really explode. Unbelievable bat speed. Hands are a little bit lower. He's really able to drive the ball. If you look at some of his contact numbers as well, really high uh, line drive rate, line drive rate last year, even higher this year, 26.7%. That's an elite number. Hits a fair amount of ground balls, about 40%, but I'm okay with that with a guy that's a contact hitter like this with some pop, you know, 33 to 34% fly ball rate. So he doesn't hit a lot of infield fly balls either. So he's a guy that is able to drive the ball, hasn't hit a ton of homers, but there's definitely some power there as an all fields approach. And he's a middle infielder that knows how to hit and doesn't strike out at all. I mean, he's got a 9.2% strikeout rate, uh, rarely walks. Two, uh, he's very much a contact profile at this point, but he's 19 and he's just turned 19 in May. He's probably going to get a full season assignment next year. I would imagine was that Lake County? Is that the, uh, the yes, Indian Lake County affiliate? captains? Correct. Okay. So he should be on Lake County. I would imagine after he breaks camp next year, uh, you know, health permitting, he's played most, mostly shortstop and has been pretty solid there from the reports that I've read only six errors. And I think 35 games about 240 innings or so. So, uh, he's played pretty well, played a little bit of second base as well. Um, I don't know how much longer they'll end up pushing him, uh, as a shortstop, I would imagine probably for at least a few more levels. And then maybe he'll make the adjustment to second base. If, uh, you know, there is an opportunity for him to take that role, maybe two years, three years down the road in Cleveland, but he's an interesting prospect, a little bit far off. He can run pretty well. 
um, has good instincts in the base pass as well. So he's an interesting guy. He's a guy that I like a lot. And I think he's uh, worth going out there and getting, he's got a lot of helium, a lot of buzz right now because the slash line is just out of this world. 388, 435, 564. That's in uh short season. Mohagen, Mohagen Valley, Moharnigan Valley. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to say it either. A couple of homers, eight steals. Um, and like I said, you know, barely strikes out 19 strikeouts and 207 plate appearances. That's uh, love it. elite elite. Absolutely. I, yeah. You sent some video of him over to me and I, I didn't, uh, I didn't think I'd ever really seen too much of him, but I, yeah, it's so the first thing I noticed was engagement is lower half is great. His bounce is fantastic. But the thing is he's got sneaky, sneaky lower body strength too, which maybe isn't really yeah. shown too much in the engagement of his lower half, but the ability for him to sit back on that back leg, that's all quad strength. And you notice this with guys like uh, like Stroman and, and Yu Darvish who are able to stall their delivery, who are who sit back on their legs. That is so much lower body strength. And I think that people, that's such an overlooked thing to be able to coil up that much and sit there and hold that and be able to just sit, to delay the explosion of the muscles is insane. And Freeman has that. And I think that's a very, very, that's an innate thing. That's a thing he either learned from a hitting coach or whatever, or just it makes him feel comfortable in terms of his balance. But I like him a lot. It's it's a Nick Madrigal swing. I don't want to bring up the Nick Madrigal comp because Nick Madrigal basically never strikes out. I believe he did strike out once, but um, I think he struck out the other day actually. Which yeah, we should have led the show at that. But uh, but oh, it is a little man. Nick. I know missed right? opportunity. Missed opportunity. But yeah, Tyler Freeman. The swing does look a little Nick Madrigal. You put him side by side. I don't think he'll be stunned in the differences. But H- hands hands are a little lower than yeah, Madrigal. hands are a little lower. Yeah, Madrigal probably I think uh, obviously a little, a little bit more better elbow up. and stuff. Yeah, mm. but Freeman's interesting, man. A little light, light version of Magical. You don't have to pay nearly the same amount, 19 years old, in, again, more low pop. A. And, my, yeah, you never know. So Freeman, is, I like that a lot, Ralph. Good bring up there. Thanks for mentioning him. I'm going to go with another one, an older guy here, who probably really isn't a prospect at all, but I know he has a 32-game hit streak right now. His name is Eldemaro Vargas, I believe. I'm going to probably butcher that first name. But uh, yep. Reno Aces guy um, up with the Arizona Diamondbacks AAA team. Um, 12 games with... Uh, Arizona last year actually up in the major league level. K's were a lot higher than they are right now. He's currently like an, an 8% strikeout, 5% walk at AAA. He's kind of like a Williams Estudio y kind of guy where it's more utility, kind of plays all the way around the infield. The swing is very, very wide in terms of his stance. There's essentially no power there. I'm, I'm concerned by the fact that he has like two home runs in the PCL and the amount of games he's played. There's really nothing there in terms of that respect, but his bat to ball is fantastic. Really, really quiet hands. It's, again, it's kind of like a toe toe tap toe turn there's really no stride at all with him if you watch video but excuse me 32 game hit streak stands out to me and i like that about him i mean you never know maybe you're in a 15 team league 20 team league and you're interested in a guy like el Demaro. um he's stash he's an all average guy he doesn't even really walk too much but i had to kind of commend him i wanted to bring him up just because of the 32 game hit streak which i think is right around probably the tops in the pcl from the last couple of years i don't know if it's a pcl record i don't know off the top of my head but um he seems like he might be cresting that threshold right now so this guy's all hit all the time, and he seems like everything's dropping for him right now. Yeah, no, he's an interesting guy just just from a statistical standpoint. Yeah. But uh, you never know. Sometimes guys like that figure something out and sneak away uh, into a major league role with like a second division, you know, regular sort of uh, yeah, exactly. future. So yeah, he's he's somebody I think you should keep your eye on. Maybe in a deeper dynasty league, he might have some value. A guy that has value everywhere is my number two, and somebody that I think Lance has uh an affinity for and he's really sold me on him dylan cease is my number two way to steal my thunder (laughs) way to steal my thunder anyway (laughs) he has been he has been 
tremendous so far uh, through double. He's really been great all year long, but he's got a 199 ERA, and it's even supported by the peripherals. His FIP is 2.50, XFIP's 2, 2.25, um, you know, nearly 13K per nine. Um, I think it's like a 37% strikeout rate. Uh, something to that that effect, and he's had a lot more yep. command and control this year than he ever has before. Uh, across a couple of levels, his his strikeout rate has been below ten percent. It was just below ten percent uh, with Winston Salem. Now that he's up in Birmingham, it's actually eight point three percent. So he's actually throwing more strikes, striking out more batters. Everything seems to be culminating for for sees that he seems to have tremendous control of not only his fastball, which is just easy velocity. I mean, and he works up in the zone, gets a lot of swing and strikes up in the zone in the hands on righties or lefties, which is a dangerous weapon uh, these days, especially with all the guys that are, you know, launch angling it up. So he's a guy I feel just on the fastball alone would be a tremendous reliever right from the jump. When you mix in the fact that he is a nasty, nasty curveball, and he's got these two pitches with tons of movement, good arm action, hides the ball well, that's why he strikes everybody out. He's got stuff and he's got some pitch ability as well. He's athletic. And like I said, it's just smooth. Like the, I'm, I'm, I'm always impressed when a guy throws as hard as he does and has had a little bit of an injury history. And then you watch him and you go, wow, this guy is not like super wonky at all. Like, it, you know, everything's pretty easy over the top, delivers it quick, um, repeats. Well, I mean, there's nothing I don't like about C's other than maybe that changeup. But at this point, the changeup is still improved a little bit. He's making some strides with it. If if he can get to the point that that changeup is an average pitch, a legitimate average pitch, this guy's going to be an ace. I mean, I love mm-hmm. Cease. I think the the sky's the limit with this guy. So I wanted to bring him up because he's just been he's been so good. The numbers have been so good. And I'm sorry, Cubs fans, but there's an <laughs> there's a chance with Cease and Eloy in two years could make the Jose Quintana deal look yes. really bad. Really bad. Gleaver too, honestly. There's a lot of pieces of, of what the Cubs have traded away that have been fantastic. And I think too well, they got they got a championship from Gleaver. True, I, I, true. that's fair. You know, Good point. Which that happened. one they can never I can never argue that one. But this one, I said it at the time and I took a lot of flack when the deal went down. I don't think the Quintana deal was a good one. No, it definitely was not. Um, I agree with that. And I think, too, the thing with Cease is that he's going to be a really, really nice fantasy asset, even opposed to real life. He's one of those guys where the strikeouts are always going to be there. He's going to be, like a hopefully, around like a Robbie Ray-ish kind of guy where he's always striking out guys regardless of if he's mm. maybe given up some games or his, his control waivers. But my third is Ronaldo Hernandez, a guy who won the Midwest League Home Run Derby. I got some really nice Woo. looks at him. He had some insane power in that. I think he had the most raw of probably anyone on that team. I mean, maybe, well, excuse me, I can't say that because Will Benson was there. But Ronaldo Hernandez just had a really, really sweet righty swing that just was so conducive to home runs that it was just honestly impressive how he was dropping the bat in there. And that was the first time I heard his name, though. He wasn't really a guy that I knew too much about. He's a catcher in the Rays system, speaking of Rays guys who are kind of coming out of nowhere. He's up at Bowling Green right now. 18 home runs in 91 games. Average is not that good. Fangraphs has him listed as a 55 future raw. I think it's an easy 60 future raw. I think that maybe you could even go 65, 70 on it. It's there. It's legit. And I think that it's a little bit underrated in terms of what you generally get from right-handed batters. But the thing is, he's got a lot of strikeouts. He has hasn't really been that good since July 1st. I think he's batting around 230, but and the walks aren't that great either. You really hope to see that he's kind of more of a walk guy. I'm not sure how his framing or defensive ability is, but he is a strong-armed guy at catcher. It kind of feels like a Jorge Alfaro light model of catcher where it's arm-based. Maybe he can stick behind there because of that at higher levels, but then you start to really maybe understand that he's not too mobile and get a little bit worried about the framing side of things. But 
I just wanted to bring him up because he's hitting a lot of home runs. And in the Midwest League, there really isn't a lot of home run power like this. You had guys like Ryan Costello who got traded over to the Mariners or from the Mariners to the Twins, actually. He was a guy who had like 16 home runs. I think he was tied with Ronaldo Hernandez in the Midwest League. That's kind of all you're getting in terms of power in the Midwest League. It's not really too conducive to it, especially because guys are coming in and out of it. But Ronaldo Hernandez stood out on the power side of things to me, and I kind of like the bat. So, again, Mm. really, really deep catcher here. If you just want to take a shot on a guy, you're not really sure if he's going to develop. Probably comes up next to nothing, but has some pop. Ronald Hernandez, I think, is a, is a decent option here. What's your number three, Ralph? Yeah, your number three. Yeah, so my number three is Michael Chavis, who we alluded to earlier, and we're coming full circle right now. We're going to tie in three players that we talked about before. So uh, the Portland Sea Dogs uh, tonight faced the Erie Sea Wolves. It was the hey. next start following up my last start with Alex Fado. So Alex Fado's line tonight. Okay, let's hear Five it. innings, ten hits, okay. five earned runs. Yeah. No, no walks. Okay. No walks. Five strikeouts. Four homers. Oh, who, God. Who were the culprits on those homers? Well, it would be the aforementioned Michael Chavez with two homers, one in the first inning, one in the fifth inning off of Fiedo, and then the aforementioned teammate, partner in crime, corner infield duo, Bobby Dahlbeck hit one in the first inning and then one in the fourth That's inning. That's crazy. So they combined for four homers tonight off of those guys. Uh, Right now, they are absolutely raking. I'm going to pull up Chavis's uh, last 10 games so I can just give you a, a taste of what he's doing. He's hitting 400 in his last 10 games with three homers, two of those tonight, um, seven strikeouts to six walks, which is a really encouraging sign for Chavis. He's even stole a couple of bases. So uh, maybe he's more limber now that he's off the juice. I don't know. But <laughs> I like the fact that he seems to be teaming up with Dahlbeck, sliding over the first base. It's probably a more natural position for him. And it's good to see him back on the horse and really hitting. He's pushed up his numbers all the way at, at, you know, through 19 games. Like I said, he struggled in the first five or six games there at Portland when he, you know, returned. He's now up at 286, 383, 557 with five homers in 19 games. That's exact. That's a 940 OPS. That's exactly what we want to see from Michael Chavis. And just to sort of tie him in, like I said, with Bobby Dahlbeck, he's, he's been tremendous in his time now. Um, uh, I think it's now six games, so a full week pretty much in Portland. And he's slashing 364, 440, 909. He's got nine Ks to only three walks, which isn't great, but it's Do- Bobby Dahlbeck. He also has four homers over that, that period of time. So good to see these guys teaming up. They're an interesting duo. I, I think I'm going to mention this a few times, but I think it can't be understated that that's big for the Red Sox system. It really is if these two guys – start to start to jump up a little bit. Oh, they yeah. become major, major trade pieces for them in the off season um, because power and on base and little defense, they're an interesting combo. I, I, I like, I like these guys because I feel like they've sort of rose from the ashes over, you know, a rough off season for Chavez of coming off of an incredibly high, great season in 2017. And then a really tough year for Bobby Dahlback dealing with some wrist injuries and some hand stuff, hammock bone stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we know how that can sap power and it can really hurt hitters. Um, and he's he's hit really well, you know, across a couple levels. Like I said, the strikeouts are there, but uh, he can work a count. He's a professional hitter. I like both those guys. So I guess it kind of doubled up there as my number three. Who is oh, your 
number four, Lance. My number four is Ty- Taylor Widener, actually. And posting a fantastic season double A for the Arizona Diamondbacks right now. 32% strike rate to 8% walk rate across 111 innings. Phipps sitting right at 3.1. This is a really nice jump for him from high A with the Yankees last year, um, from last year in 2017. He's a fastball change of slider guy. Um, Fangers has only given him like a 40 feature value, which is below average, pretty much organizational guy. Maybe he can crest into fifth starter or something like that. But I think that the stats he's posting in double A are, are warrant a little bit more attention for that. He's almost like a full sidearm guy from some of the tape I was watching. I imagine he's virtually devastating, borderline unhittable for most right-handed hitters with the slider and where that arm slot's coming from. Um, I, I would bet that from that arm slot as well, that it, maybe he's having a little bit of trouble with that changeup in terms of the projection of it. But And this is going to run to a ton of guys, I'm sure, is that once he gets into this level and higher levels as well, is figuring out what exactly that changeup becomes and if it's enough to to kind of mitigate some of the damage that left-handed hitters can do to him. But very interesting guy. He's kind of got a little bit of interesting over-delivery. I can't say knew too much about him. I feel like at some point I brought him up maybe in the past. The name sounded kind of familiar, but I just didn't really know that he was pitching this well in double-A across yeah. this much innings with this it's nice of a sample. I think you got to kind of keep an eye on him. He seems like a guy that no oh, one's yeah. talking about, and the stats have been great. Yeah, he changed a little bit with his mechanics, and everything's ticked mm-hmm. up since then. I think it's just a, a bit of uh, uh, how 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 much further he brings his arm back that he's hiding the ball a little bit more, I guess, than he did before. There was an interesting article or interview that I read with him about it uh, after his first started like double digit strikeouts. But yeah, wow, he's wow. an interesting guy. I think I've mentioned Widener before. I like yeah. him a lot, and uh, I picked him up in a couple of dynasty leagues as like a, a flyer type that. I love grabbing pitchers, pitchers like this because sometimes these are the guys that end up being the really good ones. Yeah. We just don't see it, right? It's about making adjustments in baseball, especially for pitchers. It's about finesse. That's where the real talent is. And you know, some of these guys just have untapped athleticism that sometimes gets a little underrated. And he was buried in a Yankee system where they just do That's nothing but scout yeah. awesome arms. I mean, they have so many good right-handers right now. But my number four, if I may jump in, I guess – Technically five because I had three B. Uh, <laughs> that would be Brian uh, Ro- Ro- Rochio. I'm going to say Brian Rochio. I hope that's correct. Or Sounds good to Rochio. I think it's Brian Rochio. So it's Brian Rochio. I'm going to go with the, the double syllable there and the, the the last name. He's a middle infielder, 17 year old switch hitting middle infielder uh, for the Cleveland Indians. They have a ton of guys in the AZL right now. They actually have two AZL squads. He's in the second AZL squad if you're checking stats there on fan graphs. But he's a switch hitting guy. You know how I love my switch hitters. A um, little bit more pop than 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 you would expect from the body and the kind of kind of hitter that he is. Um, had a, a homer in the Dominican Summer League. He was there for about 25 games. Came stateside, uh, has a homer here, five doubles. But the numbers are good 337, 376, 446, nine steals, seven strikeouts to six walks um, across 22 games. And he plays a decent shortstop. I've, I've read scouting reports and folks that have seen him play on the backfields there and just said he's sort of a good across the board player. And he's just turned 17 in January. So he's not even going to turn 18 until uh, 2019. So this is a guy that we may see in the Midwest league next year, another player that might be in that Lake County squad. That's going to be really interesting. I'm excited for some of these, these Indians hitters, man. Uh, Mm -hmm. Richie Palazzos, who uh, is actually a a family friend of Andy Singleton, my co-host in the baseball show. He was a ninth round pick out of Towson. He played on the, the Cape League last year. He's been tearing up a few levels. He's in the Midwest League already. Um, just came back from an injury. And Indians have some interesting guys, man. They drafted really well the last couple of years. And now it's coming to fruition with uh, Ruccio and, and Freeman. So 
two guys to keep on your radar, man, for sure. And and, and you got to make sure that you get out and you go see Lake County whenever they come around. You got to time up Louis Oviedo. I do have to. I have a lot of, of we got 30 days or so left in the Midwest League season. I have a lot of guys on my list to see. And I know that maybe there's some other guys that are going to hop up very quickly and get a couple weeks in there. So uh, my eyes will be peeled and hopefully I'll be shooting in some more reports. And hopefully they're all going to Fort Wayne because I have some really good access at Fort Wayne. So that'd be really nice. But my number five, Ralph, is a name that's familiar, but I feel like one that's kind of been tossed under the rug, given how good Juan Soto has played. The name you will all remember is Victor Robles. Eight strikeouts, eight walks since 726. I picked that date specifically because it seems like the most recent day where I could peg that he started playing consistently. I know he came back more so in the beginning of July, but it seems like Maybe he wasn't playing as consistently. Maybe it was more like a two or three day per week kind of thing. But now it seems like he's playing five or six times a week. So it's he's back into the flow. He's obviously, I don't think he's really going to get a call up to the major level this year. That injury he had at the beginning of the year was so weird. I think it was in spring training or maybe something, maybe backfields or something like that. I don't remember what specifically, but it was a really odd arm injury that I just can't imagine him coming back from and feeling right from for a pretty good amount of time. So I wouldn't be shocked at all if he finishes out this year. He's only batting 234 right now with two extra base hits across um i believe in his stint actually in the 2018 as a whole so maybe he kind of settles back in these next 30 games or so that uh, minor leagues have and then maybe we see him go to like a summer league or something like that maybe even the arizona fall league or something and just get more reps because this is one of those guys where he's gonna have to catch up in terms of the rep goes so that he comes into next year maybe he could possibly break camp with the nationals and and actually produce at the level we all really hoped i don't think that he's gonna be a juan soto-esque kind of guy the juan soto seems to just be generational to some extent in terms of what he's able to do at his age <laughs> But, yeah. but Victor Robles was the guy for a while that was above Juan Soto simply because we just didn't have looks at Juan Soto. He was continually injured. But Robles is always there. He's always been a top 10 guy. Well, I think if he's healthy, a lot of people will keep him in that window. And he's one of the top prospects to keep an eye on. He's going to be dynamic as a, as a guy that teams up with him. And, you know, if they resign Harper, whoever else is going to be in that outfield with them, um, because he's a guy that can sort of score a lot of runs, make things happen on the bases. He's a great base dealer. He's a great center fielder. And I think some of that probably boosted up his ranking as well. I love him. I think he's going to be a superstar. I really do. I think that, I think the power, the hit, the speed, the athleticism, and just sort of the baseball instincts. And you see that in his base running, that he's a really good base runner. Um, you know, he reads pitchers well, knows the catchers that he can run against, gets good jumps. And I think it's going to play up his profile a ton. Um, so I'm a big fan of Victor Robles. I actually made a big deal for him uh, at the trade deadline in a uh, dynasty league where I'm sort of uh, retooling a little bit. I was just outside of the playoffs, so I knew I wasn't going to make it. And I, I sold off some guys that were coming off contracts. It's a salary cap league. And I got Victor Robles. So he's in my minors and I'm going to get five years of control once he is up. So it may be two years away before I call him up because he won't be past his limits this year. But uh, I like him. I think we could see some September uh, looks with him, though. There's a chance if there's some injuries, Eaton gets hurt. I think there's a chance he gets up. So I want to go into my number five. I actually went on the fly and changed it because we already mentioned Nate Lowe. And I feel like we've talked about him quite a bit. I love Nate Lowe. He's great. Triple A. He's going to be up. I don't know if it's going to be next year and like September because it's the Rays and they're going to hold this freaking guy down forever. But more than likely, he's going to be up next summer and he's going to match. He's going to be a DH, play some first base uh, on the days that they give Jake Bowers some run in the outfield or a day off. Um, but for the most part, I think he's going to be uh, awesome. But I want to mention my number five because you reminded me another Nationals guy that's been tremendous, a young kid that's been tremendous in high A in the Carolina League. I think he's really showing something. And he's not being talked about quite enough. And that's Louis Garcia, third baseman for Potomac. If you all remember, he started the year off in uh, Hagerstown in the Sally League. 
And for the first month or so, he really struggled, as did his teammate Yasiel Antuna, who also assigned, I think, the same signing class back in 2016. Um, he picked it up there. He saw promotion. He's now been with Potomac now for a month, and he's hitting 325, 354, 467 with three homers and a couple of steals. And he was supposed to be more of a speed guy, but it looks like he's turning into more of a power hitter. He's got some pop and a really quick bat and a nice swing from the left side. Um, the numbers over the last 10 games are Ruthian 450, two homers, eight RBIs, three strikeouts, three walks, a stolen base, 13 runs. So across 40 at bats, he's got 18 hits. I mean, this kid is hitting absolutely everything that he sees. He's too advanced at this point at 18 years old, probably for the Carolina league. And he's a good fielder as well. Play some third base some second base. Um, I'm excited to see where Louis Garcia ends up by season end. I wonder if he gets some looks in um, Harrisburg or if they start him there next year, but he's been tremendous in Potomac. I mean, Oh my God, those numbers are crazy. Yeah. And you know, I think he's going to be a guy with a ton of helium this year in the off season. He's definitely going to move doing what he's doing. He should move into the top 60. I think that's every bit as impressive, if not more impressive than Nolan Gorman. I think he's actually a little bit younger than Nolan Gorman by a month or two. Amazing, Ralph. Well, that was quick five by five. I think you did pretty well there. This is one of the traditionally long episodes here. We're going an hour 20-ish, but I think it was worth it. I think we got through a pretty good amount of content in terms hey. of the looks. I like the segments we had. We had Ralph's looks, quick notes, yeah. player dive in, and some promo talk, and then the usual five by five. Any parting words before we let the beautiful people go, Ralph? Scout games, get looks, yeah. enjoy the minor leagues, you know, Another month. read as much as you can, find out as much as you can, ask questions, and uh, win your leagues, man. There That's you go. It. That's the way to do it. For Ralph and Lance and everyone at Rasball, thanks for joining in and listening to us as always. We will see you guys next week. Take care and enjoy your weekend. <laughs>